0: So as Lisa and Peter said, my name's Mandy. Um, I'm the youth pastor here at Mosaic Baptist Church. Um, I don't get the opportunity to come up and preach to you guys very often, so it's fun to be up here. I don't know if I would call my sermon a cracker, but thank you, Lisa. I'm not sure what she means by that, but anyway. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So as the youth pastor, I thought it might be really nice to actually have some young people up on the stage, right? Who thinks that's a good idea? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I've invited one of our young people, Caleb, to come up the front and read the Bible for us. Mark, can we get this microphone to work, please? Come on up, Caleb. We're reading from Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. Are you happy to hold this?
1: Yeah? Good job. Nice and close. When Jesus returned to uh, Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room, no more room. Even outside the door, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralysed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, was he saying, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately that they were what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? It is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralysed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before.
0: Good job. Can I just say, Caleb said to me before how nervous he was. Hasn't he done a beautiful job? I think we should give him a hand. Well done. Good job. Do you want to preach now? No? I don't think I'm getting out of it. Anyway, (laughs) Um, so when I first saw this Bible reading um, that James gave me, I had a bit of of a chuckle to myself. Um, The reason I laughed was because James had assumed that I'd really love the idea of preaching about this part of the Bible. And he did that because, like a lot of other people, he assumed uh, that I'm an evangelist so as uh, as our pastoral team we're doing something called the building discipleship culture training and that's where we're working with Melbourne um, about the idea of how we teach people to be disciples and in that training they got us to fill out a questionnaire to tell to ask us about what our ministry type was yeah out of the fivefold ministry types and of course, because us pastors love to have a bit of a laugh, before we did the quiz, we decided we'd figure out who was what. So we said, you know, James, he'll be our teacher. And we said, Lisa and Mark, they'll be our pastors. And we went, like, Andy will be the apostle. And they all went, I am Andy, she'll be the evangelist. Yeah? Now, the only problem with that, there's a few problems with that, but one of the biggest problems is that they're wrong. Now, don't get me wrong, I am passionate about people having an experience of Jesus Jesus that transforms their lives, yeah? I'm passionate about people having a faith where their lives are transformed in real and tangible ways, yeah? But I'm not primarily an evangelist. I'm just someone that's had transformation in my life, yeah? And I want that for other people around me. You see, if I was to put myself as one of the characters in this story... I would unequivocally be the man on the mat, without a doubt. I would be the man whose sins were forgiven, who got up running to tell everyone what had happened. That's my story. A little while ago when I preached in the morning service, some people contacted me afterwards and they said they were concerned that I gave the message that I thought um, my sinfulness or the mistakes that I've made in my past and my childhood and adolescence was somehow funny and something to be proud of. And so if you were one of those people and you felt that way, can I just uh, apologize wholeheartedly right now? Because I don't think any of that stuff is funny. I don't think any of that stuff is something to be proud of. You see, for me, uh, because I grew up where I grew up, I grew up out in the country in the sticks. I grew up in an environment where I went to a school where the kids and the teachers and pretty much everyone told me I was stupid. They told me I was never going to amount to anything. They told me I was never going to be able to change that, that I was a kid that had problems. I was going to be an adult, had uh, problems. That's how I was going to live my entire life. And when I changed schools, when I got to be high school age, uh, I was given the opportunity to get out of where I came from, and so that's what I did. I got out of there as fast as I could, and I came to Canberra, and I did that because I thought maybe I could have a chance for something more. But in my very heart, for a very long time, I felt like, I was that stupid kid, that stupid kid that was unlovable, that was fearful, that was never going to amount to anything. That's who I believed I was, right through my childhood and adolescence and right into my early adulthood. And because I believed that, I lived like that, yeah? I lived like I had no purpose. I lived like I was never going to do the right thing anyway, so why would I even try, yeah? Now as a mm -hmm, 40-something-year-old woman, (laughs) I stand up here on this stage and every one of those ideas is crazy to me. The idea of being unloved, what, (laughs) the idea of not being good enough, the idea of being stupid, all of that stuff could not be further from the the truth. And the reason for that, and I want to make sure you hear this, the only reason for that, only, hear that word. The only reason is because I have a saviour who is my king and my friend, and he not only tells me that I'm the opposite of all of those things, he has turned me into the opposite of all of those things, yeah? And how could I not want that for the people around me, yeah? I'm going to tell you a bit of a Mandy story, and all the young people in the room are like, oh, here we go, yeah? A few weeks ago in our Tuesday night youth ministry program, I had all the kids at my house and we were sitting around on the floor. And I started the night by saying, Hey kids, how you doing? Sorry, our merge is year 11 and 12 and plus kind of age group. So they're all 17 and 18 and 19. And one of the young ladies said, Actually, I'm not doing well. She said, I've had a really rough time. My mental health is not good at this point in time. She said, I'm not coping. She went on to say, you see, on Saturday, my mum died. She was 36. None of us thought, no, none of, no one expected her to die. It came out of nowhere. And she's had quite a hard life, this young person, and I've known her through school, and she's only just become connected to our youth ministry. And she said, I'm starting to think that the world is not fair. Now, that was a few months ago, when we fast-forward down the track to Tuesday night. I've been very concerned about this girl because her mental health was bad before this event happened. This was kind of like the cherry on top of a very traumatic cake, yeah? And I sat with my leadership team because it was a planning night on Tuesday. And we all talked about this young lady. And we were all amazed at how well she's doing. Since this event has taken place, she's started coming along to church she came on Sunday night and we, do, we don't do a sermon like this. We do question and answers and, and small group discussions. And she participated in that, answered questions from up the front and was totally engaged. She's finished college, yeah, in the last few weeks, even after this event. And I found out on Tuesday when I had a cup of tea with one of the young people who's her friend, that she started calling herself a Christian and she's starting to ask the questions, what is it that God wants to do in my life and through my life? You see, this transformation that I'm talking about is not just my story. It's the story for all the people around us as well, yeah? It's not just your story. It's a story for everyone. And so one of the first challenges that I want to issue us here today, Mosaic, is this. Are we transformed? Have we personally had a God-ordained turnaround in our life that makes us passionate about what Jesus can do? We just sang a song about Jesus being a miracle worker, a way maker, light in the darkness. Are we passionate believers of that? Yeah? And the reason I wanted to start here with us, yeah, is because I want to ask this question. Sorry, Mark. I'm not good with the microphone, people. I want to ask this question. If we are not not passionate about the transformation that Jesus can do in our lives... How can we ever be passionate about the transformation that he can do in other people's lives, in the community around us, in our world? Yeah? So first question, are we transformed? And if not, why is that? And would we be willing to be? Would we be willing to allow Jesus to transform us? Now, with this talk about the fivefold ministry types, I know some people won't know what I'm talking about. Ephesians 4 lists these five uh, ministry types, yeah? One of the problems in this type of thinking is that it can create an excuse for us, if I'm going to be brutally honest here, yeah? It can make us think a bit like this. We might go, oh yeah, James, yep. He's our teacher, so it's his job. He's the one that's got to read the Bible. He's the one that's got to study and understand it. His job is to do that because he's the teacher. Or maybe we go, oh, Bob over here. Bob is our prophet. So it's his job. He's the one that's got to go and hear from God. He's the one that's got to have a message for us. He's the one that's got to set the way. Or we might go, Mandy, she's the evangelist, yeah? And maybe it's her job. She's got to go. She's the one that has to be a witness. She's got to get out and live life. She's got to do that. And if we're thinking that way, I want to tell us that I think, frankly, (laughs) we've completely missed the point. Yeah? And if you're one of my young people in the room and you're thinking that way, I want to tell you it's a cop out. Yeah? See, I believe we are all called to have transformation in our life, and we are all called to live our lives in such a way that it helps other people be transformed by Jesus too. There's some Bible readings that I've put up on the screen, yeah? And there's ones there from Matthew and Mark and John. And they're all Jesus teaching his disciples and saying, I give you authority, I want you to go out there, I want you to be in this world and live transformed lives that transform people. But it wasn't just a message to the first 12 disciples. It wasn't just a message to the first 72. Yeah? There's one in, up there, I think maybe on the next page, which is from Romans. Yeah? And that's Paul talking to all the Roman believers. And it wasn't just a message for all the Roman believers either. It's a message to all of us. All of us are called to live transformed lives. And all of us should be passionate about transformation in other people's lives as well. And when I think about this idea of passionately seeking transformation for the people around us, I can't help but go back to our story and look at the four friends and look at them with total admiration. A few weeks ago um, at the 10.30 service here, I lead a Bible study group with a group of year five and six boys, don't I, Will? Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Um, some of the boys have started calling it secret men's business with Mandy. <laughs> yes, give children a voice, they said. Yeah, it'll be fun, they said. Anyway, um, one of the, we read this Bible passage together a few weeks ago, and I did this little activity with the boys. I got five of them to come up, and I sat one on a chair, and then I got four boys, and they each picked up a corner of the chair, and they lifted the boy up and kind of went around, yeah? And I did that because I wanted them to think about what it must have been like for these four men as they carried their paralyzed friend on a mat to see Jesus. We're not told if they came from just down the street or from the other side of the city or from the other side of the district, we don't know, yeah? But I can bet, regardless of how far they carried him, that it wasn't a comfortable experience for them. Think about it. It would have been hard on them. Their, their shoulders would have been burning, I've no doubt. Their hands are hurting. Their feet are hurting. Like, it would have been really hard work. And then they rock up to this house and they go to walk in, and there's so many people that they can't get through. They were so close to Jesus, but they just couldn't get that last little bit. I wonder what they thought. Did they think to themselves, I'm done. This is too hard. I quit. It's probably what, what I would have thought, yeah. They're better people than me. But they didn't do that. They pressed on. And we're told, we're not told how, but we're told they get up on the roof. Yeah? And then we're told they dug a hole through the roof. This is what Mark 2, uh, verses 4 says. They couldn't bring Tim to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now, it's an interesting choice of wording, right? The Amplified Bible says that they removed the roof. The modern English version said they broke it up broke it open. Uh, The common English Bible says they broke off part of the roof. The King James Version says they broke it up. I did some reading of this passage and the passage in Luke, because Luke also talks about this story, and all these different commentaries talking about this passage. And did you know they all agreed that our English translation does not do justice to the original language? The original language was much more forceful, yeah? the original language taught them that they literally broke the roof open with their bare hands most likely, yeah? Now think about that again. So they've just carried this guy. Hands are hurting, shoulders are bad. They get on the roof, don't know how. And then they start to tear the roof open. Can you imagine what that felt like for them? And then once they've made a hole, and it would have been a sizable hole because they had to get a human through it, right? They then hand over hand, probably with a rope, lower their friend down in front of Jesus. With their very sore, broken apart hands, most likely. Can you imagine that? Imagine how the crowd responded. You just sitting on the floor, most likely, listening to Jesus, he's teaching, and then suddenly clods of dirt, whatever, start falling down. Oh, I wonder what's going on there. And then a person gets lowered down. Like it, it would have been crazy, right? Imagine youth ministry night at Mandy's house, yeah? And a bunch of kids can't get in the door. I might have locked it, but you know. And then uh, some of them, probably led by one of our leaders, get on the roof and dig a hole in my roof. Yeah. I'd be pretty unimpressed. I wonder how the homeowner felt in this situation because someone owned that house, right? Yeah. I wonder what Jesus is thinking as he's up there teaching. Again, the clods of dirt, the person coming down. Like it, It must have been a crazy situation. Verse 5 tells us, gives us an indication of what Jesus' response to this was. The first three words of verse 5 say, "...seeing their faith." Jesus responded to them. It doesn't say seeing his faith about the man on the mat. It says their faith. It's a plural. He's responding to the faith of the friends. He's responding to what he's seeing because he's seeing their faith in action. He's seeing them tear apart the roof. He's seeing them go above and beyond in terms of the obstacles in the road. He's seeing them get uncomfortable and hurting and that's the faith he's responding to. So I know all of you are smarter than me so you know where I'm going, right? Can people see our faith in action like this? That's my next challenge to us. Is our faith visible to Jesus? And also, is it visible to the onlookers and the bystanders like the crowd in this story? When I listened to Dan and Becky and what they spoke about, did you hear them say when they chose to stay with COVID, their relationships with all their people changed? That's because these people saw their faith in action. They responded to that act of faith in terms of staying, even when it was tough through COVID. So Mosaic, will we have that type of faith? Will we live a life where the community around us sees our faith in action and responds to it? A few weeks ago, I was at a camp with one of our young people, a group of our young people. And one of the girls decided to go to do this workshop on discipleship. Now, I didn't want her to go to that workshop by herself because she was the only one out of our crew that went, so I went with her. And the man running the workshop, he's a good mate of mine. I have so much time for him. He's kind of like this gentle, kind uh, man who is also very faith-filled. And I think I have so much time for him because of the gentle, kind nature which I do not share with him, Yeah. But he said this, and it was one of those times where it was kind of like, I call it a punch in the soul because it was kind of hit me here what he said. And this is the quote, I've put it up on the screen. He said this, If we don't help other people to follow Jesus, we get bored. And bored people tend to focus on the wrong things. When I look at this story in Mark, and I look at the reaction of the religious leaders, I feel like they're the exact personification of these bored people that my friend Matt is talking about. Think about it, they saw exactly the same thing. They saw the clods of dirt, they saw the hole get ripped open, they saw the person get lowered down, yeah? They saw Jesus perform a miracle. They saw all of this in front of their very eyes. And their response? was to question Jesus and his authority. The very next story in Mark after this story that we've read is when Jesus calls Levi, the tax collector. And the religious leaders respond by saying that he shouldn't be hanging around with those type of people. And Jesus responds to them and says, no, actually, it's the sick that need a doctor. And then the very next story after Levi Is when the religious leaders start telling Jesus and his uh, followers that they're doing the wrong thing because they're working on the Sabbath because they did a miracle. You see, I'm going to argue that the religious leaders had forgotten that their job was to help people to get closer to God, and they were bored. And they lost focus on the things that actually mattered. They focused on the wrong thing. They focused on sins. They focused on, peop- on rules and regulations. They focused on why Jesus wasn't doing what they thought he should be doing the way they, they thought he should be doing it. They focused on why they were right and why he was wrong. And as much as this reaction makes me furious... At the same time, if I'm going to be brutally honest, and that's what I do, because it's a cracker, right, Lise? (laughs) Sometimes I see this reaction in us. When people come to us and they say, someone will say, oh, Mandy, I really don't like hymns. When I come to church, I just can't connect with hymns. I hate them. I wish we wouldn't sing them. And then the next person over here says, oh, Mandy, we should only sing hymns because that's the best and only way to connect to God. I wonder if we're bored. Or when someone comes to me and says, Mandy, I really miss the drums. We should have the drums every week because that's how churches grow. Yeah. And someone else comes to me and says, Mandy, I hate the drums. I never want to have the drums again. And I hope all drummers are drowned at birth. Yes, that comment's been made. Yeah. I wonder if we're bored. When I hear people complain and they say, Mandy, we don't like having kids in the service. They make a noise and they make a mess. And I know that they do, yeah. I wonder again, are we bored? Or when people tell me that they don't like the youth ministry programs we run because the kids have problems. They don't, by the way. Again, I wonder if we're bored. You see, I wonder if there's a chance that we've forgotten that... These ministries we run and this service that we're part of, this building, the complex organization that is Mosaic, to use someone else's language, yeah. I wonder if we've forgotten that all of that stuff is not about us and our preferences. It's actually about helping people get closer to God so that He can transform them. As I was going through the sermon this week and figuring out what I was going to say. Every time I prayed, I felt like there was something else that I needed to share and I haven't written it down, so I'm going off the cuff here. (laughs) I feel like there's another group of people here, the majority of us, I hope, who are not bored at all, but we're more like the crowd in this story. You see, I think the crowd sometimes gets a bad rap here. But let's be real, they went out of their way to be in that room with Jesus. They were obviously wanting to know what was going on. They were obviously open. They were obviously wanting to participate. And we're like that, right? We're in the room. We're here. We believe in Jesus' transformational power. That's why we do this. But just like that crowd, yeah, I wonder if sometimes we're in the way and we don't realize I wonder if we could be brave enough today to pray to God and to ask him to show us how we might need to move aside to let someone else come through, how we might need to look around us and see who's here, like the paralyzed man on the mat, who can't get through to Jesus because of us. So Mosaic, is God asking us to step aside for someone else? Are we willing to pray that brave prayer and ask him to show us if that might be the case? So with that in mind, I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, again, I want to thank you that you are a miracle worker and that you are light in the darkness. And Lord God, I would ask that here at Mosaic you would help this place to become a place of revival where the baptistry is not covered because we need to use it so often. Where we hear miraculous stories of transformation in people's lives every day. Where we see you at work in us so deeply that we can't help but be passionate about what you might have in store for the people around us for this community of Belcon and for Canberra more broadly and all over this world. Lord Jesus, will you speak to us? Will you change us? And will you make us into everything that you would have us be in this space? Amen.